Once more, give your full attention. This is the Word of the living God. Psalm 48. Zion, the city of our God, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came together. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in a panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but this word of our Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer, if you would, as we ask the Lord's blessing upon their hearing and the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again before you, humbled in your presence. We thank you for your word. Think that it is perfect and complete. And therein you have revealed yourself to us as you have shown us all that we would need for life and godliness. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would help us to believe it, to base our lives upon it. Lord, to be refreshed and corrected by it. And Lord, to find comfort as we hear it. We pray that the instrument of your word this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, dear Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, Psalm 48 continues this theme that's been running uh, through the last three uh, Psalms, Psalms 46, 47, and now 48, and that's God's use of universal reign. Uh, the earth, right? The earth is referred to in these psalm, uh, these three th- psalms ten times. <clears throat> uh, the pictures they give are intertwined. The themes that are given are uh, dispersed throughout that we see them re- recur again and again. Uh, and they show us God's sovereignty and praise reaching out to the ends of the earth, to the whole earth. Psalms 46 and 47, if you remember, therein we see God's rule coming from, issuing forth from the city of God, Jerusalem. Psalm 48 praises God by praising the city from which he rules over the whole earth. And remember, we discussed those pronouns, right? Who's being spoken of uh, in the previous psalm? Psalm 46, for instance, where it says, God is our refuge and strength, right? Who is the our there? Our refuge. Well, it's the city of God. Or as we go on, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the habitation of the Most High. Because he, what? He is in the midst of her presence. She shall not be moved, is the declaration of the psalm there. But how can we, we talk about a city like this uh, like, as a person, right, with these personal pronouns? Psalm goes on, went on to say, 
In verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Right? And we see throughout these and even in our text, our psalm this morning, that the city is the people. The city is the people. And this shouldn't be strange to us when we think about Scripture. Uh, elsewhere talks about this. Right? The city is the people. Think of Revelation chapter 21. When John sees the new heaven and the new earth uh, in verse 1, he sees what? The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, as you know, I grew up on the West Coast, and um, I had friends out there who'd gone to churches, grown up in churches, or gone for a long time to churches, who never got out of the book of Revelation. Right? They're perpetually going through Revelation. And some radio preachers you may have heard, every time you, you know, dial through and you go, oh, there's that guy again. Oh, he's speaking about eschatology again, right? <clears throat> Um, or, or the times of the signs is something that people would say a lot. And they'll tell you with certainty what this verse means. They'll say that this is city that come, coming down is a literal giant cube coming down in the end times, like a Rubik's cube, if you will. But what does the verse go on to say? Or it goes into the next verse, and it says there in Revelation. It says that the city is prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, right? Adorned for her husband, not a giant physical cube. That's not what's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The city of God is the bride of Christ. It's the people of God. And so there's this close connection that we see here between the city of God and the people of God. And Psalm 48 is about the king and his people, his reign and his love for them. It's about that universal reign of God and his indwelling, his dwelling with, rather, his people. <clears throat> Indeed, it's about the glorious city of the glorious God, of the glorious king. Indeed, it's about the union of the king and his city, which is his people. And this, of course, was paramount for them, paramount for the people of God, important, significant, imperative for them to meditate, to rehearse in their minds, to remind themselves, to worship, and to acknowledge. And those pilgrims going to worship needed encouragement. They needed encouragement in dark times, in hard times. They needed encouragement and to praise and to remember this in times of joy and in times of confusion, in times of delight and in times of doubt. And we know that we too need to rehearse and remind ourselves to worship and to acknowledge that our great King, King Jesus, is sovereign and glorious and also that we are his people. We are his people. We are united to him. We, we are his city in all of the times of our lives, all the things that we go through. And so the psalm is this description, and it's a praise to the great king of the city. And it opens, Psalm 48, with a declaration, <clears throat> a declaration of the praise of the king in verses 1 to 3, the praise of the king. It's a direct attribution of praise, right? It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And then it goes on, where is he to be praised? In the city of our God, in the city of our God. And so as we come, as we, as the body of Christ come in corporate worship, we are his people and we are his people are to praise our God greatly, right? In all of our lives, of course, but especially in corporate worship, when we come together as his people, as his body, and so this enjoining together that we see of the Lord and the city continues down throughout the psalm, and it goes on. Psalm 48, 1 to 2, his holy mountain 
Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. And here when it talks about elevation there, you see in verse 2, elevation, uh, beautiful in elevation, that's a reference to grandeur, loftiness, or highness. But Mount Zion physically isn't a very high mount. It's not very high in its elevation. And historically, it's not been the joy of any of the earth. It's been the hotbed of conflict seemingly forever over time. But what the psalm is doing here, it's it's issuing a statement of faith, a confession of faith, a confession of the reality of what will be and and really what what this points to, what's beyond the physical city. And then see there where it says Mount Zion in the far north, the far north. Literally what it says there, in the heights of Zephron, or Zephon. And what is that? <clears throat> well, this was the mythical place of meeting of the Canaanite gods in the palace of Baal, right? This uh, Zephon. <clears throat> and what the psalmist is doing is he's borrowing this imagery here, not the theology, he's borrowing the imagery to make a confession that the Lord is great, Yahweh is great. It's a confession and it's a corrective, right? He's saying, no, you fake false gods, meeting place is nothing. It's not the place of divine meeting. That place, that mountain is Yahweh's mountain. It's Mount Zion, the city of our God, the true and living God. And then in verse 3, it it, it brings these two images together, the Lord and the city. It, It says, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And so by praising the city, the psalmist is praising God indirectly. And you see that? And so the psalmist declares this city topped mountain is as, as a joy and as beautiful. But why is it? Is it because of the mountain and the city atop it? No, it's because of the presence of the Lord. That's why it's beautiful, because of God's presence there. The Lord is what makes the city of God so beautiful and so joyful when we gather together. And in what way is he present? How can we say in faith that we, as the city, are the joy of all the nations who come to worship with us? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it's when the word is proclaimed, when it's proclaimed not in an unknown language, but when it's proclaimed in an intelligible language, that unbelievers will fall on their face and proclaim, surely God is among you. Surely God is among you by the power of the word and the spirit that attends that word. And so, brothers and sisters, praise your king, your your God and king, for his presence among us, even this morning, his people. And isn't that awesome to think about? Isn't it amazing to think God with us, dwelling with us, Emmanuel? Certainly it is. The psalmist goes on with uh, praising a king by these two perspectives that he gives. Right, two perspectives of the city, one of fear and one of faith. The first in verse 4 and 7 is the perspective of the city through the eyes of fear. And we see here, <clears throat> verses 4 and 7 describes the reaction of the kings of the earth upon seeing the city of God, their perspective. Right, They had apparently gathered to attack the city. Right, And this, this harkens back to, brings to mind, um, Psalm 2, right? Then raging nations 
the nations rage. But before they attack, what happens? They see the city. And verse 5 says, as soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in a panic and they took flight. Panic of the, of the nation's kings. Right? We saw the presence of the king, and now we have the panic of the nation's kings. In this panic, this terror that they experienced is compared to two things you'll see there as we go forward, uh, verses 6 and 7. It's compared, firstly, it says, trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. And then in verse 8, but the east, by the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Right? So their panic was like the sailors on a ship that's being shattered by a storm in the sea. And that fear did not come, right, from the mere physical fortress of Jerusalem alone. The panic didn't come just from that. It was the divine presence that gripped them with terror. They were gripped with the panic because they had joined together against the city. And it was the city of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord terrified them. But there's another perspective that we see as well. One that they could have had if they'd come not attacking, raging against the city, but in humility and submission to the great king of the city. And that's the next thing. We see the perspective of the city through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of faith. In verses 8 to 11, uh, verse 8 begins, As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. And the we here is apparently, it's the pilgrims who came to the city. Like the kings of the earth came to the city. Different intention, right? They arrived at the city of God, and when they saw it, they respond. But how did they respond? Not in terror and panic and fear, but in joy, with joyful praise. When they saw the city, they saw the fortress, yes. But they also saw the God who will establish her forever. Right? So this is the, 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 the opposite response to the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> And they came in humility, and they came to meditate on the king's love and to worship him and to praise him, even as we come together as God's people, to meditate upon his word and his person and his love and to worship and praise him, Lord's day by Lord's day. And we too know that this small gathering here of his people in this small building with limited parking and less than perfect bathrooms we know that while we are here meeting with our king, it's only a taste, a small taste, and a small picture of what we'll be doing forever in glory as we are lifted up, even from this place, into heaven itself with the company of heaven rejoicing in our king. And that heavenly city that awaits us is boundless and without measure. It's not limited. Praise him, brothers and sisters for his presence, and for the right perspective of the eyes of faith that's been given as a gift, all that we would, uh, he would be glorified by us in all that we do. <clears throat> and so the psalmist goes from, on from here, and, it's the, and, and, and he brings uh, this declaration um, of the praise of the king in verse uh, 8, again, coming forward into 14. And listening into verse 8, <clears throat> as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. They heard of past deliverances. They saw new ones with their own eyes, right? Past deliverances, and even as we have seen, they say, right? So there's the, the, what, they've, uh, what they've heard of and then what they see, right? They've heard and now they've seen with their own eyes. 
And this is always a good rhythm of our life as well. Not only to know and recount the, the mighty works of God and of deliverance, but how has he delivered you? How's the Lord delivered you in your life that you've seen with your own eyes? I'm sure there's many ways that you could catalog, but mostly and most significantly, he has delivered you from death and sin through the blood of Christ. That is the greatest deliverance any of you will ever have. And then he goes and prays him for it. Uh, and then in verse 9, he says, because of that, we have thought on your steadfast love, right? This is that word hesed, that covenant faithfulness, that loyal covenant love. We have thought upon it, O God, in the midst of your temple. And notice here what's going on. <clears throat> While they're in the temple on Mount Zion, above Jerusalem, they think of what? They think of God's faithfulness, not the physical mountain, his faithfulness. And that's why it goes on to say, right, in verse 10, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, your faithfulness is filled with righteousness. I'm sorry, your right hand is filled with righteousness. And then what happens after that? All of this, the, 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 the song gives this call to worship in verse 11. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Right? And notice the parallelism in that call to worship. Right? What's they're coupling together or making parallel? It's Mount Zion and the daughters of Judah. Right? Parallel there. Again, the city is the people. The city is the people. And then the psalm gives a call to contemplation, a call to contemplate. It says, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider, consider well her ramparts. It just means her strength, meaning the, the walls, the fortified city. Go through her citadels. And then he gives the reason why. And the reason is, after the contemplation, in the reflection and the meditation, that you may tell the next generation that this is God or that this is what God is like. Right? It's a reflection and a deepening into your being of who God is. And you pass that on. The city is the people, and they're to be testifying one generation to another of the truth and the reality of God and his grandeur and his greatness. And contemplating the city drives what? Praise God himself, to praise God, the one who builds the city and blesses the city and protects the city. Verse 14, or our God forever and ever, he will guide us forever, right? Incredible, incredible. And so brothers and sisters, let us render uh, celebration, right, for the presence of the king and for the faith perspective of the city that is the people, all to the praise of this king, and you know, God's place and his people and his presence are all over Scripture. These are threads that we pull throughout. Even in our New Testament reading this morning, Ephesians 2, right? It talks about who we were, who we are now. And then there's this command to remember, right? Therefore, remember, Paul says, to remember what we are now becoming in Christ. And I'll just read the last couple of verses of that passage in Ephesians that we read. Again, a call to remember what we're becoming in Christ. And he says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
into whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's incredible. The holy house of God, his city. And for those who belong to Jesus, those who trusted in him for your eternal life, you aren't merely healed and made whole from your hopeless and helpless and godless tradition uh, past. You're being made into something holy, a holy house, a temple, a dwelling for God. You who were outcast and far off, not his people, strangers and aliens, outsiders of the covenant of promise and separated from Christ, again, hopeless and without God, godless in the world. And notice you're not merely being made to come into the type, right? A type. You know what type is, right? Uh, uh, Typology in Scripture, what, what, what are types? It's where there's like a picture of one thing. Uh, there's the picture, and then there's what the picture is of, right? <clears throat> I like to remember like this. I probably said this before. Uh, but I remember when I was younger, <clears throat> a little kid, uh, me and my brother would, well, there was a Sears catalog. You guys remember what that was? There's a certain age where you don't know, but <clears throat> this was kind of like a published website back in the day, pre-internet, and it was this glossy, glorious book with colored pictures and of all the stuff you could buy, and they sent it to you for free, I think, even. Um, and we would wear, get that at the beginning of the year, whenever it was, and we would wear it out, right? The toy section was in the back. <clears throat> And we picked the things out and circled what we wanted. And um, like yearned for that thing. We just couldn't wait. If possibly maybe our parents would order it and we would get it at some point. And if they did, when that toy actually came, how important do you think the catalog was to us at that point? It's worth meaningless, right? Why long over that picture that we longed for all those months? We had the thing that was pictured in it. Right, and so that you, the, the dreaming all year long, uh, that picture, what was pictured had come for real, and our focus was no longer on that. The actual thing had arrived, and so we think about this: all these types and pictures in the Old Testament. The city, physical city, was a type of glory. Even in the Psalm, they experienced only the type, as great as the glory was of that. You. Christian, weren't just given a picture and a catalog and a foreshadowing. You were made into a new creation, drawn into. You're in union with the one of whom and to whom all these types and pictures and shadows pointed to, Christ himself. And not only that, you were given the glorious gift of being made into the holy temple of the Lord. And you see how wonderful this is? You see how like, catapultingly glorious this is? The temple, the focus point throughout history for the people of God, where God himself filled with his, with his presence, his glory. You and I are being grown to be that temple of the Lord, filled with the spirit of the Lord. Not a political realm, not a commonwealth, not a nation, but an intimate realm of family that he's born you into. And so we think about these wondrous things where the heights of glory, but then we're reminded, how can this be? You might think, how is this? If, if, this, if this is me, why am I so weak? Why do I feel so unglorious? Why does my flesh cling so closely and keep popping up in my life? If this is true, why am I, of me, why am I so full of sin? But notice, 
brothers and sisters. God is growing you, and God is building you. He is making you fit. This is his promise to you who love him and trust him. And his work on the cross is what justifies you. And it's the only thing as well that ever has the power to grow you. He is making you fit for him. And everything he brings into our lives shape us and move us and grow us to his end for his purposes. He knows your need. He knows our needs. He knows our failings. But remember, he is a good God. And even if you don't understand, he's a good God. The earth is not spinning off its axis. He's in control. He's sovereign. You know, the pastor of old, Pastor John Calvin, talks about God lisping to us in his word. The word is uh, like a father lisping to his children, condescending, coming down to his children in a way that's beneficial to us, to talk to us in his word. Our God is a providing God who gives us what we need, who meets our needs, even when we may not know what those are. And God does this all by giving us means by which we can grow and be strengthened and be reminded and remember. And he does it in prayer, and he does it in the preaching of his word, and he does it when he gives us the sacraments. And so when we come, when you come, after that spiritual amnesia has set in, and you've forgotten who you are and to whom you belong, and what God has done, and what he's building you to be, when you've forgotten that, when all you can seem to remember is the depravity and darkness of your own heart and the last time you blew it, when that happens, dear Christian, we come and we hear it afresh, the gospel. We're reminded, and we feed on the truth in his word, and we feed on Christ in the supper, and we remember, and we are strengthened, and we are grown all to the end of his praise and glory. God does this for you, brothers and sisters. And know for certain that though you may forget, God does not have amnesia. He remembers, and he will come good on his promises. And one day you will be fully that holy house wherein, with he, wherein he dwells, that dwelling place of God, his temple, perfect, not broken, not forgetting, but overwhelmed in the glory of Christ and filled with the fullness of worship and love and peace, the sweet peace. God himself dwelling in you. What Ephesians 2.14 said, he himself is our peace, right? Is he your peace? The dwelling place of God. And remember as we close, brothers and sisters, remember and look to that day away from yourselves and to the one who loves you, the only one in whom there is any peace, the only one who can give you peace, Christ Jesus, our peace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are overwhelmed by your love and your glory, and to the extent that we're not overwhelmed, we are forgetting the truth. Lord, we pray that as we are harassed throughout our week, and that as we are corrupted in our thinking, and that as we are drawn away and deceived and lied to, Father, that you would strengthen us, that you would remind us, give us strength for today, for the week, moment by moment, as we seek your face, as we seek your truth, and as we're our brainwashed minds are washed by the truth of your word. Lord, help us to believe what you tell us concerning yourself. Help us to long for that day when we reside as the city of our great king. Lord, we're grateful that you are the God of all mercy and that 
and that that mercy does triumph over judgment. Father, if you were like us, we would all be condemned. But you are a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who delights to save sinners, a God who, yes, is just and willing and will bring judgment, but not before pleading and waiting and offering even himself in word and sacrament generation after generation. So, Lord God, we pray that your mercy displayed to us even today once again bring us back in repentance and faith. Father, enlarge our hearts towards you. We praise you. Father, pray be with this church, be with individuals specifically, all of us, especially those who are struggling physically, spiritually, relationally, financially, whatever it might be, Father. You know. Help us to remember as we suffer and as we struggle that you are a good God, that you love us, and that you are truly, that Christ is the satiation, the only satisfaction of our hearts. Help us to, 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 help us to put to death in those things which compete in our souls for his affection. Lord, and help us all to remember as we suffer that you indeed are the God of the resurrection of the dead. And Lord, in your sovereignty, whether you choose to eliminate suffering or not, give us strength to endure and to remember that truth. Father, we pray that you would be with the families of this church, with the children especially. Uh, Lord, bless them. Help them to never know a day when they do not name the name of Christ and the people of God and the love of Jesus. Give the parents strength and integrity. Lord, we pray with the singles here as well. Uh, Indeed, if it's your will, bring others into their lives. But even for them and all of us, once more, help us to be so fully settled and glorying in Jesus that everything else is, uh, takes, a, takes a back seat, that he would receive the glory for our good. Father, we ask all these things in the name of that same Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.